Um, we've been looking at the story from Luke 4, where Jesus preached his first sermon after he was filled with the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit in his hometown of Nazareth and told him that he was the Christ. And when he did that, you guys know that they weren't too happy about that because they, they had in their mind who the Christ was supposed to be and not going to be, and they didn't think it was him because he, he grew up there. And uh, they tried to kill him that day by throwing him off a cliff. I've never had that happen before. I've had some sermons that made people mad before, but not quite to the point of killing me. But um, for the last several weeks, we were looking at this story <coughs> excuse me, that Jesus risked his life to share with us. We're going to read this again today from Luke 4, 16 through 21. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as it was, his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, <coughs> excuse me, to set liberty to those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendants, the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Aren't you glad it's been fulfilled? Amen. So from these scriptures, we see Jesus was anointed to do six things. <clears throat> Preach good news to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. We've already looked at the first five, so today we're going to conclude this series by looking at how Jesus is anointed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, what does that mean? Did that mean there's a year coming someday or has happened someday where it's an actual literal 365-day period where something is or we are accepted before the Lord and there's not? No, that's not what that means. It's not a, it is a set period of time, but it's not a literal year. Jesus is anointed to proclaim that something or someone is accepted with God for a certain period of time. That, that who is accepted with God is us until the time is up. Amen. So we're going to look a little deeper into this. The term acceptable year of the Lord is, a direct, is directly connected to the Jewish celebration called the year of Jubilee. You may or may not have known that. So when it's saying the acceptable year of the Lord, it's referring to that. So the year of Jubilee happened every 50th year. It was a year where, where they released people from all their debts. Sound good, right? Uh, released all slaves and returned property back to the original owner. So this year was also dedicated to rest for the land, rest for the people, and also um, a time for the people to have uh, family celebrations and get-togethers, spend extra time with their family. So this would take faith on their part because they would have to go two years without sowing or reaping. Imagine that. So they'd have to believe God for a bumper crop basically every uh, sixth year. And then on the 48th year, you'd have to believe for a real good crop because you'd have to go, at the end of year 48, you'd have 49 off because that's 7 times 7 is 49. Then the 50th year would be Jubilee. So you'd be going two and a half to three years close to by year 49, year 50, then to the end of 51 when you get your fall harvest, almost three years of crops you're not allowed to sow or reap. So if they did any work on those days during that time, it says they're supposed to be cut off, which usually means killed. So Jesus took this, God took this resting time, this resting period for the land and for the people very seriously. In fact, one of the reasons why it says that the children of Israel were captured by Babylon is so they didn't honor Jubilee. They didn't rest the land, they didn't rest themselves. And I just wonder sometimes 
if we're not um, in the church, not resting enough on the promises of God and still trying to earn something that Jesus paid for. Amen? Just a thought. So the year of Jubilee was dedicated to rest for the land, rest for the people, spend an extra time with family. All debts were canceled. <coughs> all mortgages were paid in full. All land sales were reversed. All slaves were released. And there was no debt in all the land of Israel. Could you imagine? Imagine that happened in America, the whatever trillion dollars we're at now, just totally released and forgiven. If someone had fallen on hard times and had uh, to sell their land for their, pay their bills, at Jubilee, it, it just it would go back to them. That'd be amazing, right? Or if someone was uh, sold as a slave in order to pay off a debt, when Jubilee came along, they were released to go back home and, had, and weren't a slave anymore. So unfortunately, our founding fathers didn't put this into our constitution. That would have been really nice to have some of that cancellation of debt and everything like that. So, um, to have all those debts canceled every 50 years, that'd be pretty awesome, wouldn't it? I think, I think so. Then you pass down to your generation, to your family, to your children. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen today in America, and I don't know if it doesn't happen in Israel anymore either. But this year of Jubilee and does still carry significant meaning for the church today, Okay. We're going to look at this today and show you some things that you may have seen before, you may not have. Colossians 2, 16, 17 says this, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So the year of Jubilee was a type and shadow of something that reality is found in Christ. There's something about this cancellation of slavery, cancellation of debt, releasing of land, releasing of stuff that's symbolically important for us to understand uh, through Christ, okay? Because the reality is found in Christ. So um, Jesus is anointed, it's important for us to understand this because Jesus is anointed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now is a day of God's favor. What did uh, Gabriel say, or the angels say to the, uh, to the, um, the shepherds when they're out tending their flocks at night? Glory to God in the highest and what? Peace on, or, or favor on whom, uh, peace on whom God's favor rests, right? That wasn't peace between and favor between man and man. That was favor between God and man, okay? So, <clears throat> so Jesus is anointed to proclaim the year of Jubilee. So to get a, a full picture of this, we're going to go back and look at some of these Jubilee verses in the Old Testament and see when and where they celebrated this. <clears throat> Excuse me. Leviticus 25, 9 and 10. And you shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement. You shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all the land, and you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. That sound familiar? Liberty? It shall be a Jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his possessions, and each of you shall return to his family. So they celebrated the year of Jubilee on the first day, of the tenth day of the seventh month, on the Day of Atonement. Now, don't you think that must have significant meaning? The Day of Atonement to the, Jewish, to the Jews was the most holy day on the whole Jewish calendar. It was um, the sixth feast, also known as Yom Kippur, and is um, the most holy day of the year. <coughs> it is believed by Jews that on this day God decided and made His final judgments on if someone's going to heaven or hell. Now, I'm not saying that's what the New Testament teaches. I'm saying that's what the Jewish people believed that happened on that day. So 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this, 
For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that, he, that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body. So while all other holidays for these feasts were, uh, were feasts, this one was actually a fast. And they had fast for 25 hours just to make sure they covered the entire day. They didn't want to miss this. Didn't want to be cut off or killed. So Leviticus 16, 29, 31 it says, this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the 10th day of the seventh month, you must deny yourself and not do any work, whether native born or foreigner uh, residing among you. Because on this day, say this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. Then on a, it is the day of the Sabbath rest. You must deny yourself. It is a lasting ordinance. So I'm going to highlight again verse 30. On this day, atonement will be made for you. It isn't something you can do for yourself. Atonement will be made for you. Then before the Lord, you will be clean of all your sins. So on the day of atonement, their sins were covered for an entire year. So this is a big deal for them. A big reason they want to celebrate. That ceremony would need, but that ceremony would need to be repeated year after year, after year, after year, after year, forever, until something significant changed. And that significant change didn't happen until Jesus uh, came on the earth. So you can see why this is so important to them. So we're going to look at the Day of Atonement a little bit, look at the, the priests a little bit, just show you how these types and shadows uh, point to our high priest, Jesus, point to our Messiah, our Savior. All the Old Testament, the feasts, um, everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. So when you're reading uh, the Old Testament, you think, well, do I still need to read the Old Testament? There's lots of great stories in there. There's lots of uh, um, history of things, lots of things. And you can see types and shadows of Jesus through different characters like Joseph and David and, and many other different things. But um, we'll look at the Day of Atonement for the high priest. This is a very special day. In fact, the most important day of the year for the high priest. This was the only day he was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies. Imagine that guy must have been nervous because he heard about Aaron's two sons, and they try to do what they did, and they drop dead. And they say they would tie a rope around their leg and have little bells on their ankles. So when they went in there, if somebody went in there and they didn't make it out, they could drag them out by the rope so they would have to go in there and die too. So it would be it was a holy day, a very sacred, special day. No one's clowning around. No one's goofing around. It's solemn, sacred, scary. Because it, 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 this guy's risking his life to go in there. He's having faith in God. So... If he at the end of the day, he would die. So on this special day, he could come into the very presence of God to offer sacrifices to atone for his sins, his family's sins, and the sins of all of Israel. Imagine that. Imagine being one of those priests. Imagine knowing somebody that was a priest before you who did, went in there for some other reason and they died. And now it's your turn. Oh, man. He'd be a little, I'd be nervous. So... The Day of Atonement sacrifice looked like this. <laughs> the first sacrifice was a, was a sin offering of a bull for the high priest and his family. And the next sacrifice was a goat for the sins of the people. Leviticus 16, 6-10. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is, to set, he is to cast lots for the two goats. One lot is for the Lord, and the other is for the scapegoat. 
Aaron shall bring the goat uh, whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it as a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as a scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the desert as a scapegoat. So a bull was offered for the priest and his family. A goat was killed instantly. They cast lots. One lot fell this way uh, on the uh, one goat. He'd be killed instantly, and the blood was for all of Israel. And at the other goat, they would uh, they release it into the desert. So why would they release it into the desert? That's kind of a weird tradition, a weird thing that they did. But in ancient Israel, it was believed that uh, by the people that the desert was actually inhabited by demons and even Satan himself. Look at this verse in Isaiah thirteen twenty one. It's really weird, especially the Amplified Version. But wild beasts of the desert will lie down there, and people's houses will be full of doleful, dolefully howling creatures, and ostriches will dwell there, and wild goats like demons will dance there. It's a pretty creepy verse, isn't it? Um, Matthew twelve forty three. when an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid or hot, dry, waterless places, seeking rest and does not find it. And also when Jesus was tempted by the devil, where was it? It was in the Judean desert. So you can see kind of a pattern there. So it's interesting just to note he was released in the desert and not somewhere else. So according to tradition, the goats were uh, brought before the high priest and they would cast these golden lots. And these, one said for Adonai, which means the Lord, and the other said for Azeel, which means for Satan. I'll show you this in Leviticus 16.10. But the goat in which the lot fell for Azeel, or removal, shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over him, that he may be let go into the wilderness for a zeal or this dismissal. So the lot on which Adonai fell was immediately sacrificed for people, and the goat on which the lot a zeal fell was marked with a scarlet strip of wool that was tied around its horns. And I got a picture to show you guys of that, of the goat with the scarlet on. Okay, that's no problem. Um... At this point, after, after he tied the scarlet on, on the goat, and the other goat would already be dead, the other one, uh, he would lay his hand on the head of that goat and symbolically transfer all of his sins, all of his family's sins, and all the sins of all of Israel into that goat, and then release it into the wilderness. Now, which of these sacrifices do you think represents Jesus? All of them. All of them. He was the bull. He was the goat. He was a scapegoat. All, it's always Jesus. And it's such an easy Sunday school thing to remember. Just, you know, the answer seems to always be him. But it really is. Because the kingdom of God is all about him. So this is where the term scapegoat actually came from, which means the one chosen to accept the blame for others. So this came from the Bible. Over the years, people started having problems with these scapegoats wandering into neighboring towns and villages and scaring the eebie-jeebies out of people. They'd see that scarlet wool on somebody like, oh, that's a cursed goat. I don't want that goat in here. That's that Jewish cursed goat. And they'd be like freaking out, think it's an omen or something bad can happen to them, that they're cursed and everything. So after a while, they, they changed this practice. Um, instead of releasing the goat into the wilderness, the rabbis would take the goat to the top of a cliff and push it over backwards off of the cliff. That made me think of our text we've been reading over the last so many weeks here in Luke 4, where they tried to do that to Jesus. Luke 4, 29. They, drove him, they got up, drove him out to the town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. So that was in Nazareth after he told him he was a Christ. So let me show you the picture of the, um, the next goat picture. So before the priest would push the goat 
off the cliff. He would take a little piece of this scarlet wool off of the goat, leave most of it with him, but he took a little piece of it and he pushed the goat over the cliff. And from tradition, old literature says, I found this in multiple sources, they, um, the, 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 the supernaturally the, the scarlet wool would turn from red to white in the priest's hand as he's holding it. Supernaturally. And that gave great comfort to the people knowing that their sins were covered for another year. So it's pretty amazing. So um, this practice went on for hundreds of years and brought great comfort to the people. But amazingly, the year of Jubilee began on the same day, the Day of Atonement. Now, the Day of Atonement is already filled with pictures of forgiveness, but then you put the Jubilee into that. You're talking cancellation of debt, cancellation of mortgage issues, land sales being reversed, slavery. All debts were totally canceled. But it's put a, almost like a double picture into the same event in the same time. I think maybe it's something important that God's trying to get us to understand that all of our sins, all of our lawless deeds, he will remember no more. When he said it, he really meant it. You know, um, let me summarize this first. But uh, this marked the beginning of a year that was dedicated to rest, spending time with family, cancellation of debts, the cancellation of slavery, lost land being returned, and um, it pretty much summarizes Jubilee. So remember that the reality of all of the feasts and celebrations are found in Christ. So the reality of Jubilee is also found in Christ. So let's look at Christ now. Matthew 27. They stripped and put a scarlet robe on him. Why scarlet? He didn't get to pick out the wardrobe and whatever, right? They dressed him in that. And they twisted together a crown of thorns and set on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. Isaiah 1.18. <clears throat> Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, what's going to happen? They shall be white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Supernaturally. Just like it was supernaturally changed in the hand of the priest, is supernaturally changed in our lives by the power of God, okay? So it's important to remember that these sacrifices had to be offered again year after year after year, and it was a constant reminder of their sins. So I want to share this with you, uh, Hebrews 10. I could do a whole sermon on Hebrews 10. I'm not going to do the whole chapter, but I love Hebrews 10. I'm going to try to just read it. But man, there's some good verses in here. Um, but you need to see what this is type and shadow of, and clearly you can see it. You're talking about the bull and the goat. He's talking about the Day of Atonement. He's talking about Jubilee. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are, to co are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. So they were required, but they couldn't complete the job. They couldn't make them perfect, but something else could, okay? Otherwise, will they not have stopped being offered? For the worshiper once have, having been cleansed, once for all, would have no longer have felt guilty for their sins. <coughs> but those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Remember the bull and the goat and then the scapegoat. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God, my God. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. 
Then he said, here I am, I've come to do your will. He sets aside the first, that's on the first covenant, to establish the second. (coughs) And by that will, by that will, that testimony, that covenant, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Not year after year, not for 365 days, once for all time. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. They only covered them for a season. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy." I don't like how that's translated because it's incorrect. I'm going to read the verse 14 in the King James. For by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. There's no being made holy there. It's they've been made holy. It's a finished work. It's not a, it, our soul realm is progressive. Our spirit realm is not progressive. It's a finished work. Okay? For by one offering, he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now this made me think of Leviticus 16, 13, which we read, which said, on this day atonement was made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, you'll be clean from all your sins. Hmm. Praise God on the day of atonement was made for the people and they were clean from all their sins for an entire year. Okay? Now I want you to think about this for a minute. This was, this was future sins. Okay, it was future sins because it was, they made the sacrifices and it was 365 days going forward, not going backwards. All their sins for a year were already covered before they did them. You know, some people have trouble with that, and, uh, but it is reality of the Bible. Our, our sins and our lawless deeds remembers no more. Your sins are forgiven before you do them. And, and it's humbling. It's challenging. Uh, and, you know, people have trouble with this year thought. They have trouble with their sins are forgiven or blotted out for a few days, let alone a year or for life. But your, when he said your sins and lawless deeds, he remembers no more, I think he really meant it. I think he's trying to doubly point it out through Jubilee and Day of Atonement together, saying, look, no, it's canceled. It's erased. It's forgiven. It's gone. Stop thinking about it. Just be my child. Walk with me. I'll teach you how to live. Amen. So uh, on the Day of Atonement, atonement was made to cleanse them of their future sins for an entire year. And that's different from what a lot of the church thinks because we got to do all this uh, rigmarole and all this stuff to try to stay under the blood or do all this stuff to stay under. No, we just got to stay in faith at what God said. Now, if you hear this message and in any way makes you want to go out and sin because it's already paid for, well, then you have a real spiritual issue. But that's what, still what the Bible teaches. Amen. That's a hard issue, not a word issue. But the reality is that our sins are not covered for a few days or for a year. They are removed permanently forever by the sacrifice of himself. If the blood of a bull, the blood of a goat, and then a goat sent out to the desert as a scapegoat could cover their sins, cover them for an entire year, how much more the blood of Jesus? Remove, not cover them, but remove them entirely. As far as the east is from the west, they've been removed from us. They're not there anymore. That's why the devil's called the accuser of the brother. He's trying to remind you of all your stuff. No, he, he has no legal ground unless we give it to him. Your sins, God forgot about a long time ago. Amen. 
And when you receive that by faith, receive that by grace, you will live more holy accidentally than you ever did on the religious law and system of trying to be a people pleaser in the fear of man and running this rat race of trying to do everything right because I got to wear the perfect clothes at church because so-and-so will judge me. I got to do this over here because so-and-so will judge me. That has nothing to do with Christianity. Your atonement was made for you to cleanse you so you would be clean in the eyes of the Lord. You might not be clean in the eyes of man. They might still see some of your rough edges and some of your stuff that God's working out of you over time. But before the Lord, you will be clean. You are clean. You're clean. Amen. So how much more the blood of Christ? In the New Testament, our financial debts are not actually canceled automatically. That does happen sometimes, but it's an automatic thing. But our spiritual debts are canceled. Our sins have been erased, and our sins and our lawless deeds he remembers no more. Our property or land is not restored, usually, but we've been given a new spiritual home, a new residence, and the builder and maker is God. We've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his son. Today we are not delivered from physical slavery, but we have been delivered from the power and slavery of sin and the power of the devil. Amen. And we've been delivered from bondage to the enemy. And all this, how do we receive this? By faith and resting. He said, you work for this, you're going to be cut off. We receive by faith and resting in the finished work of Jesus. Amen. So remember, the year of Jubilee was all about releasing and resting. And they had that time off work so they could spend extra time with their family and they could have family reunions. And God desired to have a family reunion with us today and every day. Um, we enter his presence uh, through, through faith and resting. You come boldly before the throne of grace to receive mercy in your time of need, not with your, your track record or your resume or how holy and spiritual you are because you're doing this, that, and whatever. I would imagine that would sound like a clanging gong and a resounding cymbal in God's ears. Don't you think? So what God desires, uh, excuse me, uh, it's the heart of God is family. And by the grace of God, we've been invited into the family of God. We've become accepted in the beloved, the beloved family of God. The same word used for Mary, who's highly favored, is the same word spoken over us, that we are the beloved of God. Amen. So we don't get to enter through works, we enter through rest. So he has become our father, and we have become his family. And Jesus is the complete fulfillment of the year Jubilee. Amen. Amen. Everything they received in the Old Testament was a type and shadow. The reality, however, is found today through Christ. So today is acceptable year of the Lord in the acceptable period of time and grace. And this acceptable time period will remain until time is up. And when time is up, it's not acceptable time with the Lord anymore. It'll be too late for whoever doesn't receive Christ. So why do, we, why do you think he did this on the year of Jubilee? the year of Jubilee on the Day of Atonement. He could have picked any other day of the year, could have made a totally different celebration, could have been whatever. It's only once every 50 years. Why did he do it then? I really think for multiple reasons, he wanted us to know that Jesus is the bull, he's the goat, he's the scapegoat, but also that he wanted to put a double image of the power of the cancellation of our debt, of all of our spiritual debt, all of our lawless deeds, all of our, he wanted a double image there to again and again, it's canceled, it's canceled, it's over, it's over, it's finished, it's finished. He literally took your sins to hell and came up with the keys of death, hell, and the grave so you can be walk in the newness of life with him, which is symbolic through baptism. All right? 
So Jesus is a fulfillment of the year Jubilee, and Jesus is the one who cancels all of our debts. And today we're accepted and beloved because of him. I want to close this sermon today by reading our text we've been reading the last so many weeks. And um, why don't you stand while I read this? You know, Jesus is still anointed. He's the anointed one. He's the Christ, the Messiah. And he's anointed to do things in our life. And I'm telling you, if you, there's a verse in First Peter, I can't remember exactly where now, but it says, if you forget that you're cleansed of your sins, you're not gonna grow spiritually. And I know I say this a lot, but I can't help it. I probably can, but I don't want to. But so many churches all they talk about is sin. When Jesus was our scapegoat, our sin bearer, he took it away into the wilderness to the, the pit of hell with him and came back up victoriously so he could live a life free from sin, not enslaved to the devil, not enslaved to sin. Nothing will by any means uh, bind us. Nothing can. So he's anointed to proclaim this good news. I'm telling you, when you hear the good news, you can get liberated. When you're hearing like, you gotta be good enough. You gotta do this right. You gotta do that right. And then when you get all this stuff figured out and you can, then you can become a Sunday school teacher and you can tell everybody how to be religiously flawed as you. Sorry, I didn't, that wasn't in my notes. Um, but um, no, we need Jesus, amen? And he has forgiven you of all your sins. And if that makes you want to go and sin, there's something really wrong with your heart. You need to pray about that and come talk to me about that. We'll help you get saved, born again. If, some, if, if for somebody to want to do something intentionally evil, I'm not talking about accidental stuff, intentionally evil, for someone that's done so much good for them, died for you, shed his blood for you, paid the penalty we could never pay, and then that's how we want to pay him back by being evil, then we probably haven't been born again, Right? So Jesus said this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave back the attendant, sat down. The eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the fulfillment of everything. Every feast, the year of Jubilee, you're the author and finisher of our salvation. And we just thank you for sending Jesus as our sacrificial lamb, as the bull, the goat, the scapegoat, all the offerings and sin offerings, fire offerings, all of them, they all point to Jesus. <laughs> and I thank you that atonement was made for us to cleanse us. And then before the Lord, we are clean. Not for a day, not for a week, not for a year, but perfected in our spirits forever by the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Ooh, my spirit just did a little leap or something in there when I said that. <laughs> Ooh, sorry. Yeah, thank you, Lord.
Forever. Forever. Takes faith to believe that. Takes zero faith to believe that you stink. And that's why people love religion. Because that's what they tell them every week. Takes faith to believe Jesus and his word. So God, I bless your children today. Merry Christmas. We love you. Thank you for all you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Merry Christmas, guys. Love you. Have a great day.